Welcome to Your Move Creep, the podcast celebrating action cinema from 1980 to the year 2000, from the east to the west, from the worst to the best. My name is Larry Reed, and thank you much for joining me again for a new fresh episode of Action Film Critique. This week is the return of the fabulous Dr. Megan Kenny, all the way from back in our Demolition Man episode. And this time we get a goff on as we discuss 1994's The Crow. This episode is simultaneously the most morbid episode and the most mental podcast I think I've ever recorded. So strap in creeps as we get into it. Hello, Megan, and welcome to the show. Our, our first, re- our first returning guests. Oh, amazing! This is a, this is a, I know it's, a, it's quite the honour has been bestowed upon you to be the first one to come back and talk shit with me again. Um, so, how have you been since the, since the last time we spoke? When we spoke about. A great length about poo poo and free the free seashells and how much we love Sandra Bullock. Oh, what a time! What a wonderful time! <laughs> I, I think I've been riding the high of it ever since. To be honest, yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't yeah. think I've ever come down. Um, but yeah, I've been fine. <laughs> that's good. That's good. And obviously, your your podcast is going well, Monsters Flesh. You know, that's going great guns nowadays. Yeah, yeah, going really well. So we've had some uh, mini series out, I think, since we spoke last, and uh, got a, a new season coming soon. And uh, done some like live events. We did some stuff for Grimfest and Leicester Horrorcon, and yeah, uh, just getting his fingers in all the pies, as it were. <laughs> yes, lovely. That sounds good to me. I love a pie. Um, <laughs> being a Scottish man. Um, so last time we spoke, great, great guns about demolition man. So, and we sort of talked a little bit about your kind of history with action movies. So since we last spoke, and obviously our return of guests, we just spoke, discussed about a minute ago, have you watched any action movies or maybe like visited some movies past since we last spoke? Yes. Well, one that I have rewatched and will rewatch forever is Nobody. Which is, oh, nice, I, nice, nice. I think it might be my favourite action film of all time. Really? I think so. Um, which is quite, I mean, now that I've said it, I want to take it back because that feels very, <laughs> very definitive and I have the millennial commitment issues, so perhaps not. But yeah, I really, <laughs> I really, really love it though. Um, so I've rewatched that and I just, honestly, I just think it's just so fantastic. Anyway, I'm going, I'm going too far. I'll not even get into Bob Odenkirk, goodness me. Um, <laughs> and then... What else have I rewatched? I watched Ballerina. That were a first time. Oh yeah, watch. yeah. Um, have you, have you, you actually, you actually recommended it to me, like on I Twitter, did. and I was like, yeah. So when I went and checked it, I was like, yeah, she, she's definitely. It's a, it's a really good movie. Yeah, very very really fun movie. Fantastic, really fun, and but really interesting. I think. Mm, um, mm, definitely. And I always like to see you know women shooting men. So there we go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a good, it's a good sort of revenge flick, isn't it? It's, really, yeah. it's kind of like. 
I mean, is, it cre- is, it, is, it, is it Korean? I think it's Korean, isn't it? I think it is, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but got that really good, which I love revenge. Any film about mm. revenge, I'll watch. Um, and then watch Die Hard at Christmas. It was the first time I'd seen Die Hard for years. I think it's too oh. long. I know that might be controversial, but <laughs> it's too fucking long. They could cut at least a good half an hour out of it. How many times do we have to see Bruce Willis in a vest with his feet bleeding? I mean, you know, we got it. Get the gist. <coughs> well, I mean, but, like, not, not as if I would, talk, I would ever talk about Die Hard with uh, great lengths, but yeah. Uh, shout out to Green for coming on the podcast and talking. Give me yeah. some nice. Female empowerment on that movie, uh, that movie podcast. Um, yeah, like I mean, I, I, just, I mean, I, I know Die Hard is uh, maybe a little bit long. I, mm, I mean, I've seen it so many times that I just, I just sort of zone out, and I just, yeah. I kind of pick back up when the bits I look, I'm looking forward to kind of come in. But yeah, I mean, I mean, we kind of put me and Green put that to bed Christmas time. Obviously, it's a mm-hmm. Christmas movie. It's a very fun Christmas movie, but. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. I mean, have you ever have you ever seen any of the sequels? Have you ever kind of visited those ones before? No, I've been advised not to. <laughs> no, well, I mean, I mean, well, one, is the second one good? Oh, I've seen second, it. Second think... one, second one, and the third one are good. Yeah. Third one's probably, I would say, the first, the third, and the second in terms of like. Yeah. If you can look at those ones, the fourth one, ugh, it's not great. Mm-hmm. Um, I've not never not seen uh, Live to Die. Not Live to Die Hard. The third one's a. Uh, a good day to die hard when when he's like got his son in it. Nah, I'm just not interested in that at all. Like, and I just I, I mean, I love Bruce Willis. I'm, I'm a big fan of him, but I'd rather just talk about you know prime Bruce Willis than than yeah. you know grumpy. I don't want to talk. I don't want to do interviews Bruce Willis. Um, and you know, obviously, right now he's obviously going for a lot of hard time, and but and I kind of wish him the best, obviously. But um, I would like to kind of keep Bruce Willis as a, a sort of um. A little glass case in terms of like yeah. he's t- my time with him and uh, he's, yeah. he's an icon. But well, well, but yeah. So the, I would say Die Hard Two is good. I like Die Hard Two personally, but maybe Die Hard with Avengers is a little bit better in terms of just because Samuel Jackson's amazing in it and obviously. Yes, yeah. I have seen that one. Yes, I have. Yes. but not for years. Um, mm. But I, I think in terms of Bruce Willis, like Fifth Element, probably my favorite. Yeah, oh, I love that yeah, film. It's so so good, that. so good. Yeah. People once believed that when someone dies, a crow carries their soul to the land of the dead. But sometimes, just sometimes, the crow could bring that soul back to put the wrong things right. Gasoline, I smell. <laughs> Victims, aren't we all? We're gonna like just well, obviously um we talked a lot about just kind of touched a little bit on revenge so it's maybe a bit of a 
and they segue into your pick for this week uh, on this episode, should say. So now we're going to take up talk about the crow. Um, so why did what kind of stuck out for stuck, stuck the crow out for you in terms of our list? When I give you know all our all our um, guests or the big, the big massive list to kind of choose what film they want to yeah, come and talk about, you chose the crow as one of your, your picks. So what made you sort of gravitate towards that movie? Uh, I think because as a as a teenager, I, I don't think it's possible to underestimate the impact of Eric Draven. Mm. goth teenage girls oh, yes. of, which, of which I was one so mm. um, I think an enduring love with uh, Eric Draven um, and, and also because I, I think it's such an interesting film because although it's action and it's very you know there's a lot of action in it and it's and lots of fight sequences and there's so much else going on in it that I think it's an interesting one to talk about in terms of that because there's so many different elements at work in it as well. Um, and also, you know, 90s, 80s and 90s, the golden age of cinema for me, really. Mm. <laughs> so... Oh, yeah, you're, talk- I mean, you're, you're preaching to the choir here, absolutely. So, <laughs> for uh... horror, for action. <laughs> yeah, you've come, you've, come to right, you've come to the right place. Um, so did you have quite a big golf phase when you were younger? It's never stopped. Are you still, I let us stop. Are you still in your golf phase? It's just golf, spring, golf phase springs eternal, basically. Yes. Once a goth, hours a goth. That's it. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's uh, but yeah, I think it's such a an inter like the, so there were the crow and the craft. Mm. That oh yes, had yes, yes. Massive yes. influences on me as a, like a thirteen, fourteen year old girl. <laughs> um, but I really it came out in ninety four, so I wasn't thirteen in ninety four. So obviously, I, I came to it later. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think. When you even to watch it, like obviously we watched it um, to talk about it, and also because I wrote something um, for Nottingham Horror Collective mm-hmm. recently. I was going to say about that, yeah, absolutely. So I mean, yeah, we tell the guests a little, tell the audience a little bit about what the kind of article was about. Yeah, so um, Nottingham Horror Collective do these fantastic themed um, magazines, sort of issues around tarot cards, sort of theme with justice. Well. Uh, and so I really wanted to write about justice in The Crow because I think, although it is about revenge, I do think it's overwhelmingly about getting justice when justice has been sort of denied. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I talked about that, but also talked about sort of Detroit as a character and Detroit as the villain. Um, and obviously got on my capitali- anti-capitalist soapbox. <laughs> love it, love it. I completely appreciate that. Absolutely, yeah. go for it. <laughs> so yeah, so th- but really talked about that and about how um, you know the the Eric sort of journey for revenge, but what for justice and vengeance, but what does that cost, you know, in the long run? Um, and so yeah, if people want to buy a copy of the Nightingale Collective Zine, they can uh, read my article. <laughs> Absolutely lovely. That's a great great plug for. Uh, for that. I, I, I'm sure I'm sure a wonderful article. Will you check it myself? So we'll get a little bit into it now. So we're going to go a little bit about the the crow itself. So the crow from 1994, as you just popped out, uh, directed by Alex Proyas, based on the comic book by James O'Barr, um, which we're going, to, we're going to visit in a little bit in a second, uh, from 1989. Uh, so Alex Proyas, primarily he was a music director, um, did music videos for the likes of Sting, Rick Springfield, um, In Excess, um, that lovely... Um, 
Antipodean is that what we say of Australian yeah. uh, band with Michael Hutchins um, of Weird Sexual Desires fame. Uh, <laughs> Dabbling what films are making. He done some some short films before making his feature film debut with this film, of course, um, which has. I mean, you can see obviously that he's kind of lending kind of the music video aesthetic to this this movie. Mm-hmm. It's very much like a. Like a nineties music video and very kind of stark yeah. and very kind of dark and grim and it's almost yeah. very nine inch nailsy, I suppose, a little bit. Um and he also directed um Dark City. Um you ever seen that for Rufus Sewell, I think, and Jennifer. No, I don't think I've seen that one. It's kind of like a strange sort of like um like futuristic but also quite kind of like fiftiesy sort of film with Richard O'Brien's like kind of a creepy sort of like bold sort of like Somewhat kind of almost like a kind of Caligari sort of like. Oh, okay. Um, it's very sort of like, it's like almost like mixing that sort of like Cameron Caligari, Nosferatu mixed with sort of like 50s aesthetic. And, oh, um, that sounds brilliant. It's it's very, very strange. Very strange. I've not watched it in a long, long time. Yeah. I had a, a very strange um, VHS copy which seemed to kind of fuck up all the time when I watched it. So I've not watched it in a long, long time, but I really yeah. want to check it out. Um, he also directed iRobot with Will Smith, which is oh, interesting. That and, was a classic. <laughs> And he also directed the Nicolas Cage uh, sci-fi vehicle, Knowing. Um, oh. So I'm sure that our producer Petros will defend that film to the hilt. I've never seen it. I don't know. I've, I think it's a to, weird sort of strange sort of fair, like... Yeah, to be fair, I am a Nicolas Cage super fan. Mm. Um, but I don't think I've seen Knowing. But Yeah, so I, think, so I, think, I think it's like sort of like a precognitive sort of like, I think... Michael Cage is sort of like a guy who can see in the future. Yeah. Petros will probably just like interrupt someone saying, I'm talking absolute shit here. Um, <laughs> so we'll just expect that to happen later on in the podcast. We're, I'm just telling me I'm talking absolute bollocks. But um, So we'll go into a little bit of the basic plot, plot I should say, um, a little bit about the kind of back of the box um, information about the plot. So Eric Draven, a murdered rock star played by Brandon Lee in his final role, uh, returns from the dead as an invention angel to seek retribution against the gang who murdered him and his fiancée on Devil's Night one year prior. So, Megan, on your rewatch of The Crow, what did you think? Um, well, in, a, in full disclosure, I had watched it quite recently before that because I'd just seen it were on and I could watch it and I thought, mm-hmm. yes. May as well. Yes, I will. Uh, and it had lost none of its appeal. Um, I think the overwhelming thing with it is that it's just so sad. And, you know, we're going to talk about that because you have to talk about that. But, you know, everything about it is sad, really, even from um, sort of comics themselves were written. Uh, I hope I'm not stealing your thunder here, but... Comics, no, go for it, yeah. <laughs> comics themselves were written after the... I forgot his name, the guy who wrote them. Yeah, James um, O'Barr. James O'Barr had, had, like, experienced a profound loss and then, obviously, Brandon Lee died. And, and I know that he said that he wished he'd never even written it after that, mm, that yeah. because it, it came out of this loss and then it, he felt that it had caused so much loss in in the wake of it and I, and you know such a tragedy and I think that the you know I think it was um because I, I when I was doing my research for article I think it's the guy who plays fun boy who yes. shot shot the gun that that ultimately killed Brandon Lee and then he didn't act for years and he said like I've never got over it because how do you get over that you know and, and mm-hmm. such so much tragedy around it which I think is 
I think it's built into the sort of mythos of the film in a way. You know, there used to be rumours that when he, the shot where he falls out a window that he were really dead. I remember mm. hearing that as a teenager and, you know, really gruesome stuff, which I suppose is what people always do, the wake of things like that. Of course, um, of course. But just such a, you know, such an avoidable tragedy. But then it happened really recently with Alec Baldwin, didn't it? So it's not like yeah, yeah, it's yeah. changed. And again, I mean, here she goes getting on capitalist, um, <laughs> you know, capitalism's murder, quite literally. Of but, course, of course, absolutely, yeah. You know, this is what happens when people aren't given enough time and like resources to do the job safely. And I think in, it's, in, in action films, you know, you're dealing with that a lot, aren't you? Like guns and people flying out of windows and you think mm. if people aren't safe then these sorts of things happen don't they but um but i just think on a rewatch you just you just see what a talent you know brandon lee w- was and you think about what he could have been but obviously mm. the family were haunted by a tragedy as well so you just yes. it's all very tragic which sort of feels I don't want to say appropriate for the gothic aesthetic, but in a in a way, it it is. I mean, the story's tragic. The film, the whole thing about it. So sorry, people, if you've never seen it, it's not a very happy film. No, no, no. And I, I think <laughs> because it's because I think it does. I mean, it's, and I, I don't mean not to, to say this is definitely not a, an endorsement of of sadness if it brings sadness into a movie, but because there's so much. Now, obviously, I, I, to, in preparation for this movie. I watch it, I was like doing the recording and the podcast and writing about a little bit, obviously my kind of script essentially for them, this film. I listened to the James O'Bard commentary. He had a mm. director's commentary obviously for the whole movie. It's very eye-opening. It's very, very much filled with like a lot of like love for the film, a love for the people who he worked with. He was very much hands-on with the movie. You know, they what you know, Alex Price obviously wanted to be, I'm sort of a, a big sort of not a role, a role in the movie. It has a small role in the movie at some point, obviously in the very background. But he's very much like, right, I want you to kind of come and help. I want you to kind of like make sure this is as close to the you know the film as we can. Now, obviously, we'll get into a little bit about the kind of back and forth with the studios and stuff, but um, and the sort of problems he had with them in terms of getting the, the movie made to sort of as much echo the film, film the book, comic book as much as he could in the film. But yeah, there's there's a lot of like. I mean, I'm not. I'm going to admit very early on that this is a film that does, you know, after you know, get, makes me upset because you know, I, I'm, I, I am, a, I was introduced to martial arts movies by Bruce Lee. I've got a very big affection for Bruce Lee, and then obviously when you find out, you know, he's got a son and his son's made these other movies that are, you know, much love. I mean, like to, I'm just now I'm waiting on a a t-shirt, a, a kind of bootleg t-shirt of. Last show in Little Tokyo, which is what I made one of my favorite Brandon Lee movies. Him and Dolph Lundgren like kicking ass and talking about how big Dolph Lundgren's dick is at one point, <laughs> um, which is a great, great, great. But it's a, that's a great movie. I love Legacy of Rage. I love Rapid Fire. I, I fucking love that movie so much. Um, so when you find out, you obviously he's got the son. The son's made this comic book movie. Oh, you, and you're you're that young. Maybe I was twelve when the film came out. So. I was maybe get like let's see maybe like when I was thirteen, you know, around a bit sort of time that maybe you got to see it. Um, there's a lot of like, and then to find out that this guy who's made these great movies made this this tentpole amazing like a comp, dark comic book movie, and then just said like this is it, this he's no, he has no more. He's gone the same way his dad. It's just something tragic has happened, an accident. I just a one 
one sort of moment it just it just changed his life and ruined it and it's been destroyed um it's such a kind of poetic film so there's a lot of like gravitas and i hate to use that word it's such a wanky word but there's a lot of gravitas in the movie and it does like watching it you know you know before now i will i will put i will put megan a bit of blast here from saying that it's taking a long time to actually get recorded this because megan and myself i've had covid and i've fucking fucked it as well uh but <laughs> so but when i did watch it and i wished was listen to the commentary i just i was in and i was bawling my eyes out i just yeah. i completely like and it did not really affect me until you know you hear these things about it and you realize that like there's so much sorrow in this movie and yeah. not just not just in the fact that this film is about loss and about you know it's like it's not as if like he goes on to live the end of it in terms of like you know eric draven doesn't you know he doesn't live forever he's like that's this is after he's come and done his time you you, you have to kind of go you know you, you don't get to stay around it's you come back for this thing you deal with your business and then that you get you, you get to go off and be with you know be with shelly again mm-hmm. which is so it's a it's a, an incredibly sad movie. Do you do you feel more emotional now as like an, an older person? I mean, I cry anything now. Um, you know, Instagram reels <laughs> and anything. My minute my dog looks at me like sideways, I'm like in in, in apoplectic. So, yeah. do you find that now is maybe like okay, we're kind of teenager where you'd maybe just you roped up in sort of just the movie aspect of it, the sort of the kind of goth vibes of it. But now watching it as an older person, you kind of do you feel more like uh, an appreciation for an appreciation for the the story of it and the sort of sorrow behind it. Yeah, I mean, I th- I think I always. I mean, I've I can cry it up near an envelope, and I've always. Been <laughs> so, uh, but I I think yeah, <coughs> even as a as a teenager, you know, I think the sadness of it, you know, I was really sort of aware of and that it was sad. But yeah, I think as you get older, you you sort of, I think as well, it's it's more about the mortality of, you know, the like the fact that Brandon Lee really died and you see him and he's so young and like just looks so young and you know, you think, God, like that's that's so such a waste, you know, such a waste of, of life, isn't it? But mm. I think, yeah, it's it's possible for I suppose people to watch it and just be like, Oh, what a good sort of action film. But I mm. think anyone who knows any of that sort of backstory of it I would imagine that does impact on the watching of it, and it is a bit, I suppose, a bit macabre to, to because. You, but then I suppose, what would you do then instead? Like never watch it. That mm. seems even you know for someone who this is his legacy, really, isn't it? This is his his films are. His oh yeah, yeah, legacy. yeah, yeah. So it's it's important to keep that alive, and I I think although I know that they sort of said it were. A bit of a commercial flop, which I don't agree. I mean, it it made money, you know, it made yeah. A I mean, it's, money. It's, I mean, it's changed sort of. It became sort of a zeitgeist movie, especially. I mean, that's, that's it. You know, it's it, yeah. So I suppose it's cult in a way, isn't it? It's it's sort of mm. transcended that, and it's become a cult film. I would say, um, a one that people still talk about. Not just me, I don't think. No, no, <laughs> definitely not. Like, I mean, like uh, it was only like, uh, like literally the. the and like the day before, I was not reading about Halloween. This I, I watched it, and literally I went on the bus the next day. There's a big thing when and where I live in Paisley. There's a big sort of like festival essentially for, for Halloween. They go big, big guns for it. It's like a big. All the streets are closed off. We have like big shows and 
know, amusements and stuff like that, etc. And people can dress up and take their kids and stuff. It was like a, a young person, a, a person like like a four for my age, dressed like the crow, mm. like you know, proper long coat, the the bandage, the kind of black PVC mm. bandages, and the, the makeup. And I was like, Do you know, that's fucking so fucking cool to like just to, yeah. to, to see like that's like a film that's like this person was like maybe like a teenager, maybe like sixteen, seventeen, and still be affected by this movie so much to be like. I love this movie. I want to dress dress like Frederick Draven. Maybe she maybe she liked the books. Maybe she's like the comic books. But I still thought that was like a cool thing. To be like fuck, oh, holy shit! Like, yeah, I wanted I to go up to him, but I was like, I've got a beard. I would look fucking weird as fuck. Like, oh, you like you drink the crow, eh? And I'd be like, oh, it's a buster. Stretch it, stretch it. Yeah, it's like it's pepper spray in my face. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but, but that but that's a cool thing to see. It still has yeah. this this impact. Maybe I say maybe it's just the comic books. Maybe just it's a Maybe it's a film, but I like to think that it's still such a a, a touchstone, a kind of tentpole movie that yeah, I think it would be doing them just injustice to not celebrate it and be like, absolutely, this has yeah. thing has happened and it's has caused this person to die in in, in a horrible way. But also, I think if we could contact the dead, um, I think I think and if maybe if he had. It wasn't an instant thing. It would maybe if it was, was somewhere we went to the hospital. Maybe we'd be like, "Listen, I would think that you would want to celebrate this movie because this movie is a, a classic movie. It is very much a a great Brandon Lee movie. It's his best movie, I would say. Well, maybe yeah. I don't know. I, I like Rapid Fire a little bit more than this movie, yeah. but I still think this movie is just such a an amazing piece of cinema. Essentially, yeah. not just yeah. you know, just a great action movie, but a great film. Overall, you can enjoy it for all certain aspects of it. Well, you can, and I think it's you can see its influence in other films that have tried mm. to do that very um, sort of dark and gritty sort of aesthetic to films. You can see its influence in, and it's interesting, like you said, that directors did music videos because it is, you know, there's the scene where he's playing guitar and sons, and mm. it's just, you know, it's very music video esque, but it's really beautifully yes. shot. But I think the the sort of the themes of it and the darkness of it it's inspired later films and, and I suppose that's why it endures as well because it's I mean it's a very um recognizable like his his makeup and stuff is very recognizable so mm. that sort of endures but I think the the themes in it as well are, are ones that people like teenagers even today can relate to you know like Sarah she's very alienated she's a teenager mm. who nobody wants her around it's the very relatable characters um, and also, I mean, for a, for an action film, it's really fucking romantic. Oh yeah, <laughs> you know, it's very romantic. Yeah, yeah, it's comes very, back very sloppy. <laughs> to avenge his dead girlfriend, and when you see them together, yeah. and they're all lovely and in love, and that, so it's got something for all the family. That's what <laughs> I would say. <laughs> I mean, it is, I mean, it's it's uh, it's it's heart or just a love story. You know, it's not yeah. like, and I think that it was written. It was written that way. I think that you know, even the crow itself, you know. James Bar himself, it was like, this is a love letter to my 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 wife, you know, my, my partner passed away. Um so obviously there's there's, there's even before it even got to like to be film filmed, it was very much like a, yeah. a, a a romantic, you know, story of very much about this person has done me these people have done me wrong. They've taken yeah. away not only my life, but they've taken away the my a more important life than you've mm-hmm. taken away my my partner, my love and my life, the person I was gonna marry. Um which is also again we'll go into a little bit more about is is kinda of yeah. echoed with Brandon Lee's um partner at the time. They were gonna get married, she'd picked yeah. her dress out and was like, you know, we were on the cusp of being married. Yeah. So it's it's so strange to think 
it's weird so, parallels, so, so kind of, yeah. you know it's weird parallels have been like yeah. you almost you almost like we're just living that life yeah it was almost like yeah. take, it's almost like role was like and some kind of morbid method acting i suppose in a way but and so it's, it's, it's yeah i think that's why it endures though as well because all that is is in it like you say even from the comic books there's it's the there's real emotion in it mm. and so i think that always lasts in a film and maybe that's why people still like it because it's got that underpinning it you know um and it, it does give more depth what could have been a really, you know, a really easy, I suppose, action film, which is no offence to easy action films. We all just like to see people blowing shit up. But yeah. I think the ones that last, the ones that become, like, cult and become classic are the ones that, that have that, like, heart to them, don't they? Or they have a depth. They have something that, that resonates. And I think this really resonates for people. Absolutely. And I think that that's the kind of enduring message of this is, like, it's... It just has a, a sort of certain vibe to it, which I think this is just very interesting, and this that makes it like it's like probably one of the the biggest and most remembered films of the nineties. I suppose is mm. it has all sort of the hallmarks of nineties sort of music videos and the soundtrack is just is very like sort of a time capsule of the time. Obviously, it's got Nine Inch Nails and yeah. you know like and like all these kind of like thrill kill cult and. Obviously, the Cure. I mean, like, the, if yeah. if you're gonna if you're gonna be a golf film, <laughs> you kind of need to have the Cure. And this this has, uh, as far as I'm concerned, the Cure Cure song, yeah. "Burn," which is like one is my favorite Cure Cure song because it's just so like, it's just it's just amazing. It's just such a haunting, like, really amazing song. So yeah. it's just it's such a cool film. And so we'll talk a little bit about the the kind of golf aspects now. Again, to kind of reference kind of James O'Barr's commentary. Now, in this in this kind of film. He was never meant to be sort of like this kind of goth Superman. Um, in fact, the studios actually disliked that. They kind of wanted him to be... Uh, they didn't want the makeup in the film. They didn't want any kind of goth elements. They wanted him to just be sort of a white guy coming back to back from the dead, you know, and avenging his, his, his partner. But um, I don't think we could really... I just couldn't see that film working without that kind of tone and look about it. Mm. If it, if it was too polished... I think we just it wouldn't be as loved. I don't think. Would you, would you agree that? Yeah, yeah. I think if it have just been some, you know, white guy who comes back to life and and just wanders about in a in a duster and mm. sort of, you know, he, I, I think the thing with him painting his face and obviously it's very symbolic in the film and and it's like symbolic at fact that he didn't really want to be alive. He's dead, you know, and he's like alive and he's suffering. And, yeah. and sort of wants to hide his face because, see, this is the psychologist in me is coming out now, you see. Uh, <laughs> we're getting too deep into this. Um, I love so it. Go for it. Yeah, that's really, that's what I, I love for in this podcast. But, you know, he, he wants, he don't want to look like Eric because he doesn't mm. want to be Eric without Shelley. No, and so he don't want he don't want to be alive, but he wants his revenge. So to, to do that, he has to look different. And also, if he didn't look different, then how would they know? Like, if he were just some guy in a coat, then how would they know that it were this same guy <laughs> coming to kill them all? You know, like, exactly. stylistically, there is a need for yeah. him to be recognisable. And they won't get to do all the puns about him being, like, you know, 
Little Ghost Boy or whatever they call him. I mean, they don't call him Little Ghost Boy, but you get what I mean. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, yeah. They, it gives them a lot of a lot of ammunition for witty retorts before he stabs them to death. <laughs> so you've got to think about that as well. Yeah, it's great. I mean, I, so I mean, a couple of couple of kind of um, quotes from James O'Barr himself. He said that they wanted Death Wish with zombies. Yeah. Um, and they wanted to completely, completely veer away from the actual tone of yeah. these comic comic books themselves. Um, you know, it's a great line. He told, he said that you guys have everything here to make a cake, and you fuckers want to make cookies. Yeah, oh, which I think is an in, yeah. it's an interesting sort of quote. Here. I thought when I said, I was like, "Fuck, that's such a fucking cool, cool line." Yeah, yeah. If he just has such like kind of a battle trying to be like, right, no, both him, you know, James O'Barr and you know. Director, of course, yeah, um, Alex Price. They both wanted this sort of like look about it. They didn't want, yeah. but I think they were kind of a big battle. But you know, obviously, this we got we got the film they wanted from that. They they wanted a very kind of close to the bone crow, you know, comic book movie, and they got that, which is I think is really cool. Um, so speaking of James O'Barr, we're going to do a little bit of a trivia oh. since we've going to talk about his commentary. So um, just a little bit of experience on set. <laughs> Nine Inch Nails, we talked about them a second ago, um, being on the soundtrack. They were originally to be, were meant to be the band mm-hmm. and the big shootout scene, which is like the, oh, the yeah. main sort of temple action scene and the the sort of hideout of the bad guys. Um, and Trent Reznor himself is, is, was, and still is, um, as of as of the commentary recording, might have changed. Uh, quite good friends with James O'Barr, they have a good relationship. Um, but Nine Inch Nails at the time, the label were like, nope, you can't do this, you're not doing this movie. Go and record this fucking album. Um, that fucking album was uh, Demo Spiral, obviously yeah. one of the, more, the pivotal <laughs> nine, the Nine Inch Nails movie, film. Uh, yeah. Sorry, album I should say. Um, so can you imagine that album just been put in kibosh? Who yeah. the fuck would like? What would any patron of a of a metal or like slime light or what would people in Cyberdog wear without in that Nine Inch Nails album? What um, um, that's that black yeah, effect. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, you wouldn't be able to kiss any sort of UV tracky lassie no. in a in a nightclub listening to fucking front two four two, uh, or and indeed closer. Um, I mean, which is the best Nine Inch Nails song of all time? Yeah, so. I mean, like get us like think about it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, they put I would just to mention Cyberdog. They put them we have put them completely out of business. If you don't know <laughs> Cyberdog, Cyberdog is a London place in Camden, London, which yeah. specifically sells like things that you know that I can never wear in my body because. I am a fat so. Um, <laughs> so I'm, but I suppose Thrill Kill Kilt were, were kind of roped into this and they're sort of like that same sort of vibe. I mean, a little bit more like ministry in that sort of sense, but um, so similar kind of kind of things. But I mean, I think if we had Nine Inch Nails, I think the, the, the golf, the golf set of world would just have imploded what into some sort of ball of fluff. They've been just say, yeah. They played closer, fucking hell, that'd be... Be your worst fucking hell, Jesus too Christ! Too much, too much. Yeah. An ocean I mean, of jizz. <laughs> Jesus Christ! And we, and we were not going to talk about bodily fluids this time, and we fucking <laughs> fucked already. Jesus Christ! We're only half an hour in the podcast. Uh, obviously, Brand himself did a lot of his own stunts, all the rooftop stuff, and the running in is him completely. Incredible. Um, which, which I think is amazing. I mean, he's like obviously some things he, that you don't see that when he jumps off things. Obviously, that's a complete stunt double, but. I mean, for most of the stuff, you know, in the shooters and stuff, that's kind of him. That's him going kind of great guns. Um, I have to say as well, the most impressive stunt in that film is when he manages to jump up and sit cross-legged on a table, just using like one hand to get him up there. 
That's I'm big. That's pretty cool. Like that. uh, that's ambidextrous. I can can we be that flexible? I, yeah. I could not have done that when I was like a toddler, I don't think. So for him no, to no, be just... No, I no, I, I, I don't think I'd any... If I had yoga lessons for the rest of my life, I don't think I could ever... On my deathbed, I could even try and try and do that. Um, this film was also filmed, was was shot on an uh, an iconic, award winning, uh, just just a, a a massively powerful movie. That film I'm talking about, of course, is Super Mario Brothers. Um, <laughs> I can I I mean, if you're gonna you're gonna film anywhere, why not film on Super Mario Brothers set? It's, uh, so every next time you see that, look out for this, the bits of the set uh, from Super Mario Brothers. Um, as Bob Hoskins is running by, like picking up mushrooms, or well, he does that. Maybe we're not watching a long, long time. Um, and also, old car scenes were actually primarily shot with model cars. So, I mean, this isn't. Yeah. I, was, I only noticed this. It's very, very obvious when you look at them because they look like little corgi cars, like going past. Oh, like, okay, yeah. Like one wee strings essentially. Um, all the sets are are to quote old bar, shitty cardboard and cheero boxes. So all the all the all the bits so we've seen. I know it's always, that's the cool thing about it. So when you see like those kind of car chases, they're little corgi cars, like with like fucking wheels boxes, essentially, like they've, they've drawn on, which I think oh is, I think is fucking amazing. That's so cool. I, I, so I, I, I mean, as someone who loves, you know, top motion animation, he loves kind of practical yeah. effects. That's such a cool thing to see. I mean, that's not shitty to me. That's fucking awesome. Oh, that's um, amazing. Yeah, absolutely. So we're going to go up, kind of, we're going to now kind of focus a little bit about the kind of cast is moving. Also, it's quite a stellar cast. Uh, we've got her, her icon, Tony Todd. We've got David Patrick Kelly, uh, who people know from previous episode Commando. He's also in The Warriors. We've got the Ghostbuster himself, Annie Hudson. Um, and also from my feature, my one of my favourite horror movies, Leviathan. If you've not seen that movie, please go and watch it, Robocop. And one of the Ghostbusters fighting aliens under the sea. Um, if you're not watched that movie, you need to fucking watch it because it's so fucking good. Um, possible, possible crossover episode in the future, maybe. Um, uh, okay, so we also have the amazing Michael Wincott, who's had a little bit of a resurgence now after being in Nope last year. Um, an amazing kind of character actor. Um, the man with the three packs of cameras a day voice. Um, so currently James Bar, we smoke constantly, so that's what that's like, oh, be voice all the time. I can't do his voice. Um, <laughs> So we're gonna we'll we'll focus in on Michael Wincott himself first of all. What did you think of him as the, the kind of the iconic bad guy in this movie? You know, the long haired sort of like grungy looking, um, sophisticated. Oh well, I mean the hair is yes is fantastic. I think there's a real push in action films for the bad guy to have long hair. It seems to be uh, you see that quite a lot, don't you? But he's so mm. long and glossy. I mean, I assume it's a wig. You know, I would, I would, I would assume yeah. But, but it's, if it's, so, it's a fantastic lace front. Someone has done <laughs> impeccable work with that wig. Bigs by vanity, I think. <laughs> on that yeah. one, um, he spoke, but, he spoke into Latrice Royale or something like that, about like that yeah. one. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, he is very um, sinister, mm. and obviously, you know, we have to talk about the incest element to the to the whole proceedings, which yes. which only serves really to enhance his villainy. Although, you know. I mean, as he is at pains to point out, it is his father's daughter. So not full sister. <laughs> as though that makes it better. Yeah, I mean, it's sort, of like, it's sort of like, it's it's weirdly warped sort of like logic, I suppose. But it's like, not my full sister, you know. Yeah, it's or, like, you know, it's like, it's only by Ling. It's only by, I mean, uh, who could blame him? I mean, you know, I mean she, 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 she is stunning. I mean, like, like think about that, but like, 
Let's, looking at a way of that exchange of masses, yeah. like, oh, hello, okay, okay. Let's be honest, you know. Let's, let's, you know, that leather cap doing things for me. We had an ad to all, really. We uh, <laughs> like, avoiding that. Um, but, yeah, I think he's... <laughs> what? We're oh, going to get cancelled. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad um, you've enjoyed this, this 14th episode of, of your move. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but she uh yes so he is very sinister um and mm. he's really good as a villain i mean yes but also he's a very um complex i think what's interesting about all these characters is that none of them are one-dimensional so mm. he's the villain he's the baddie right he runs you know all these criminal gangs in detroit and you know but He's, he's, you hear about him, about how his dad were like a very morbid person who told him when he was five that he was going to die. I mean, you mm. know, got to, you know, and give him a snow globe, which is a weird <laughs> thing to do. It's a weird sort of, you know. Very Citizen Kane. Very Citizen Kane, very Rosebud. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think he's brilliant in it because he is very uh, restrained for a lot of it, but then just goes batshit, which is always my preferred way for a villain to be yes um, and we have the incest and swords um mm-hmm. and, you know, the, the, the sort awesome. of waistcoats and whatnot i mean it's very foppish a little bit in a little bit way so he's very like very foppy, he's got a kind yes. of a sentient look he's got the ghd here yes he's been you know he's, he's been to gvn he's yes. had like you know the he's had the moose and all the kind of like the Yes. The sort of like hair masks and stuff, and he's got very, very straight, glossy, kind of gorgeous hair. Oh, he obviously looks yeah. after it. Yeah, you can he does tell. definitely does for a for a, 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 a criminal kingpin. He's very much into hair care. Yeah, and also you can see. I think his hair is indicative of the fact that he no longer gets his own hands dirty. Because if you were trying to like fight mm. a street a street gang with that hair, you know, it just don't work. So we obviously well, see that he's he's aged out of the yeah. He's always always. All his underlings are very dirty and manky and very yeah. kind of grubby looking guys, but he's quite yeah. he's quite manicured, he's quite like, you know, like he's yeah. very well dressed, he's very kind of like he's kind of like a I'm I think he was in, in he was he's well Wilka Wink was obviously in a role kind of where he was in sort of the three musketeers as well, where he pays sort of almost like another guy with a sword, I guess. Um but he's very <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's very very guy, very good guy with sword. Um not so much in Rome who's bleeding, but um very much in this movie. But he's yeah he's he's very kind of fanciful, fanciful but yeah. he's very kind of evil and very like monologue-y, yeah. which I quite like in my, in my, my criminals. Uh, but I think one of the things that um, I sort of talked about in that article is that he so yeah he's living off the blood, sweat, and tears of these men who are living you know like you see fun boys horrible flat above this sea mm. bar and like. They're dirty and, like you said, they're, they're sort of out committing like really low level crimes and arson and, and just causing sort of chaos for his own amusement. Mm-hmm. And he's got this, you know, penthouse, his fancy swords and his, you know, big dining table. And he's, uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting how you see that because so much of the, the sort of class politics in this film, here she goes, she's off again. Um, but <laughs> I can't help it, Sen. Can't help it. Uh, okay. I, I, I'm, I'm letting you off let's go for it but I think that the class policy you're in a safe space it's safe space for me to get on my fucking yes exactly yeah, yeah, once yeah. again um, but yeah class politics in this are very interesting and I do think it's interesting that it was set in Detroit because obviously mm. Detroit is you know like the, I think it's the first city that ever went bankrupt in it I, mm. I think so something like, yeah 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 it's very much yeah 
it, it's a very it's a film that is very um socially aware i think in terms of you know obviously detroit what center of um like industry you know automotive industry and now it's like rust belt and this were obviously 90s which was sort of before that but that mm. idea about the haves and have nots is very clear you know like all the like Darla and Sarah live in this grim flat and Darla's about like you know bartending in this seedy club and it's there's a lot it says a lot about sort of class and privilege I think and even you know when you find that Eric and Shelley were murdered because they were living in this like tenement building mm. that that were unsafe and and Shelley were trying to be like you know fight the good fight and let's let's not be forced to live like this and then obviously violence or the response mm. to get them to stop complaining so I think even from the very start it's got this idea about class and and violence that you know is is not um not any different today unfortunately no no and it, it does have it. <laughs> I mean, obviously, it obviously deals with a lot of things. Like, you know, you kind of spoke a lot about the kind of Shelley and our sort of activism against sort of like slum landlords, you know, because yeah. obviously Michael Wincott is like, they have this sort of notice to get them, them out. You know, it's like, they kind of, I think, um, at one point, obviously, they kind of talk about like, it could have been anybody. We just walked in. We didn't know. It wasn't a personal thing. It was going to, when we talk about like, um, I completely forgot his name, sorry. Um your your boy from um the Warriors, you know, and, and um we talk about obviously he when he, when he has his scene when he strapped him to the kind of gaffer tape yeah. him to the car. Yeah. He's like, oh like I didn't we didn't mean don't know who you are. We just we yeah. just you're just on our well, set of people we're just we were just told to yeah. appoint it somewhere and we're like, right, okay, you need to go in and deal with these people and like get them out and it just happened to be you guys and yeah. It's sort of like a they were sort of victims of circumstance, but yeah. even even the sort of there's themes around of kind of devil's night where they kind of like the sort of gangs and the sort of like the hooligans are sort of mm. of the town kind of get to have one night where they go fucking mental and get to destroy things and like set fire to things and it's sort of seen as if kind of the cops kind of have their hands clean of it, go right, well, yeah. that's just something that happens here. So even that yeah. sort of is it kind of speaks to sort of the kind of the atmosphere of the kind of of Detroit and and the 90s and sort of the, the riots and the sort of the sort of kind of class warfare so yeah. essentially so it's just, it's quite a layered movie in terms of that as well you know we talked yeah. about a lot of the kind of I, concepts of it but and, it's, and and it's strangely political as well yeah and i think that you know the fact that one of the things that um he's so annoyed about is he's like you know i started devil's night like 20 years ago and now they sell greetings cards for devil's mm. night and it's the way that this thing that's meant to inspire terror because but i suppose it's that that thing of if you live under that for so long eventually you acclimatize and i think there's, mm. there's something about that in it as well that he, he's lived to see people acclimatize to to his his sort of his violence and his threat mm. level and now mm -hmm. they send greeting cards and so that's what he's trying to do in this you know he's trying to of this like big bang that's going to make everybody scared again because you know mm. that's what he thrives on and I think yes. that again is is an interesting point on you know capitalism and the way that anything can be commodified even a night of reckless violence mm. um, mm -hmm. and like you said police sort of washing their hands of it and I think that you know idea of people and communities being um, just abandoned and left to fend for themselves and that's really what's happened see that 
And and yeah, I mean, well, not the too far ear cabby, <laughs> too far down the ear cabby. <laughs> uh, but you know, it's it's yeah, I think it's got all that in there, and and very, um, and and the idea about being victim to circumstance, like you say, it's just which makes it even worse. And I suppose that fuels Eric's sort of motivation to continue then as well, because not only are they both dead, but it was totally meaningless. Mm. There, were, there were no, there's no like significance to it. It's just. Um, you know, like the strangers, it's because you were home, that sort of thing. Yeah, so like there's no, there's no malice behind us, no sort of like, yeah. these people are, and I know these people and I want them dead because of, yeah. they're, they're just, because they're they have wronged me. They're just like, they're yeah. just like people, they could just be like one of our, our landlords, you know, what, yeah. like, um, come out of their house and go and like, listen, you know, get the fuck out. And like, if you don't, yeah. if you resist me doing it, that I'm not, maybe hopefully, I'm, hopefully I'll land that own lands I've had before, or not as extreme as that, but certainly. Yeah. Um, no less arseholes. Um, but it's, 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 it's kind of an interesting kind of concept because it sort of adds a sort of like, it's not, a, not a meaningless to it, meaninglessness to it, but just a case of like, well, we just you just happen to be the door we walked through. Um, yeah. They do go further than that. They do, you know, they, they you know they commit sexual violence. They do kill them. Yeah. Um, but... They, they you know they could have just been anyone. They, they just didn't really matter. It was, it was just a case of wrong place, wrong time, and just happened to be that yeah. they are the ones that got back. But obviously they didn't of, bargain. And um, yeah, and I think so. The fact that implication is that if Eric weren't there, they would have just come in and and obviously um, raped Shelley and left her mm. there, and then they'd have lived. But she'd have had to live with that. Like idea yes. that this were a warning, and this is how we're going to warn you. But because mm. you were there, then it escalated. Um, and and then he died, you know. So it's it's a, as as well like the sort of blame him a bit, like oh well, if you would have stopped being there, well, you know. But implication being that you know she would have still faced this really horrible. And I think the way that they shot that scene actually, because I really hate um, sexual violence in films. I avoid films if they've got really explicit sexual violence because I just don't need to see it. Like I don't need it as you know a lot of revenge films that where mm. woman it's protagonist, you know, you, I yes. sit on your grave and all that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, as I've said before, I think I said it on one of our episodes. Like, I don't need to know a woman's reason for wanting to kill men. Just get on with it. I'll assume you're right. <laughs> that, that's fine. <laughs> but there's this real push for like justification, and I think they did it quite um, sensitively. Actually, it's mm. very. It's not really drawn out. It's not really sort of explicitly, you know, done. And I think yeah. they did that pretty well while still showing the horror. You know, the horror of it. Um, but yeah, it's. Um, I think the women in it actually are very interesting. Mm. Uh, you know, it's an action film from nineties. I mean, Shelley's obviously not present. It's all sort of flashback. Yes, she's dead. But it's the flashbacks. You know, you can see this really nice sort of life. But then you've got like Sarah. She's a very interesting character. You know, very young, but like very sort of on her own. And Darla, I think that sort of, you know, you see their relationship and how it evolves and, mm. and how they sort of come back together um, like near the end and that's really nice. And I really like, um, I'm trying to check that. I can never remember anyone's name. I really like Micah, so by Ling, I really like um, her character as well. I yeah, she's kind of cool, very like. She's really cool. She's witchy, she's strange. She's poking eyes out, but, you know, no worse than what her brother's doing. <laughs> so... <laughs> She has amazing, amazingly lined lips. Amazingly lined lips. Her clothes are yeah. fantastic, impeccable. 
Um, Absolutely, yes, yeah. You know, she she's very, um, she's got a lot of agency in it and she's very, like, mm. he, he listens to her and he respects her. There's moments when she'll, like, say, oh, do this. And he's like, yeah, this is what we're doing. You know, so mm-hmm. she's not just there as, like, eye candy on side. She's a very active participant in it, which, again, is interesting. You know, I think for, for him to have made her such a, an active character. Um, and, yeah, I mean, obviously, like I said, she's poking eyes out and she's having threesomes with her brother. But, you know, she's Asian. She's got agency. <laughs> I mean, she, I mean, she's also bilingual, who's, like, who is generally, like, just one of the most, like, interesting actresses, I think. That yeah. is, when she t- turns up and finds you, like, you sort of you're sort of drawn to she's very much of a yeah. presence in these movies. She's also sort of like the sort of lower, the sort of like expositional kind of person into because she kind of like right, this this is how we kill him. This is how he yeah. dies. Like this is how she yeah. sort of knows like like you obviously can touch on her being kind of witchy. She obviously knows like right, ah, this is just, this is just your your typical crow bringing guys back from the dead type of thing. What you need yeah, to do a is times. Just, I've seen a million times, hams all the time. <laughs> so we just need to do this. Get out of the crow. You kill the crow. You kill him. You you're not invincible anymore. What is that, right? Yeah, yeah. You just do that. It's absolutely fine. Okay, okay. I'll just do that. Then we'll just shoot, just shoot the crow, and that's it. That's that fine. What we need to do? Yeah, yeah. Once you do that, it's completely, completely yeah, not immortal yeah. anymore. Be fine. Right, cool. Oh, okay, fine. Oh, cool. Oh, awesome. you know, grab it. Let oh, yeah, of course, it. of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Typical crow thing. Just, I'm just like, <laughs> yeah, no. Just a basic crow, crow well, killing. Yeah. It's uh, it is, it is interesting, and she's like the voice of, she's like the knowledgeable one about it. Really, mm. I mean. He's just, you know, um, like Top Dollar, which is such a funny name as well. They've all got such funny yes. names, like these yeah. villains. Top Dollar, like Fun Boy. What's, oh, I can't remember what rest of them are called. Hold on. There's uh, uh, T-Bird. Oh, yeah, T-Bird. T-Bird. <laughs> yeah. I do Patrick Kelly. I think he's actually one of you. Yeah, yeah, he's really good. Um, and it's and Skank. Skank, yeah. Like Skank. Skank's a kind of like... He's like the, the sort of... Yeah, the one who everybody's... Sort of shaggy of the, the gang, I yeah. think, a little bit. He's like a little bit like... Yeah. Just kind of like just going a wee bit too further into like... Into the drugs. Yeah, he's gone too far. Skank doesn't know anything. Does Skank is like just... He's quite like... Yeah. He's quite a, funny. And and I think... But yeah, so she's really the... Uh, the, the sort of brains of the operation, it seems. Um, But yeah, I mean, I do think as well, just to sort of move away from that to the fun bit, which is obviously all the ingenious ways that he murders all these guys. Mm, I mm. absolutely love. <laughs> I really love it. I just think, you know, you've got like a man stabbed to death with his own knives and then a big crow out of gasoline just lighting up the sky. Oh, yeah, that, that, that's that, but that's actually that, iconic. Like, that's more gasoline, that, but. Yeah, I think that's so fucking good. I just think that's so funny. Yeah, I mean, um, I do think when you watch it as an adult, Eric is a little bit of a, um, you know, a nice. He's got that sort of like neck beard way of talking, hasn't he? Hello, good mm. sir. You know, it's a little bit. Of yeah, that. yeah. So it's a little bit, a little bit, a little bit too theatrical. Um, he's well, very. He's, he's, I mean, he's like, I suppose it's kind of like. I suppose it's a sort of way. This he has. He's kind of like. He's kind of crossed into sort of like the the. Jokery sort of like quippy, yeah, sort of superhero, which is kind of interesting. But but he's meant to be sort of this morbid, sort of like I don't. I mean, I've read some of the some of the Corobics. I don't think he is is very much like you know like one liners singers. Yeah, I'm just gonna shoot some sort of like quippy line at you right now. I'm like he's not Spider Man. He's like he's yeah. kind of like he's maybe dark and mysterious. Not going like that's my gasoline. Like, yeah. like oh come on, mate. Like you might be hot. Like you might be like. 
dark and mysterious, not making fucking fun, yeah. fun funny <laughs> jokes. I mean, you're not, you're not, you're not actually sting the wrestler. Like, <laughs> no, you're not coming down from the rafters. Like, just like <laughs> bothering Hulk Hogan. You're like, it's not, like enough of that. He, he does like um, his uh, literary references as well. Though, he does, yeah, so, yeah. You know, which is nice. It's nice to know that he reads. I think. You know. And I loved, I love the the when he's the kind of when fun boy shoots him in the hand. He's talking about like the the the, the joke about Jesus. He's like Jesus yeah. walks into a bar. He's like, can you put me up for the night? Yeah. I think that's just like just that's like just so so, so daft and stuff. And he's like, <laughs> then when he, he kind of disappears at the window, like Batman goes shh, and he walks, they disappears. Yeah. I think they're just like it's like some of it's like some of it just kind of takes you out of a lot, but you go right. Do we didn't need to even like disappear like Batman and stuff like that? Yeah. I, I, there's a lot yeah. of stuff like that. Like and he's like in, 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 in Hudson's room and he's in a yeah. house and Hudson's in his pants, obviously, uh, pants and socks as you as you do as a man. He's older and over over forty. Um, that's how you played about the house. Hat, just like, no, his hat, yeah, yeah, hat. yeah, yeah. I miss what I do in the house, so sorry. Um. <laughs> So, but yeah, like, and again, again, we talking. It does a kind of Jim Gordon Batman thing where he's around for two seconds, he's gone, and he's, it's like, all right, okay, let's go. So there's a lot of a lot. Of, there's very much a lot of comic booky tropes in this yeah. movie, as much as there's wanton violence and weird sadomasochism and yeah. drugs and and heroin <laughs> and and darkness and incest. There's a lot of like just yeah. like hey, Spider Man, like sort of, of like just. Now. Stupidness, but, uh, but yeah, like, but we'll, so we'll we'll kind of like that's a kind of neat segue into talking about Brandley himself. So this is obviously the performance of this film. Um, how would how aware were you of Brandley before watching The Crow? I wasn't. I would say probably not. I think that was probably the first thing there is that I'd seen. I mean, like I said, we're going back many many years, so I can't even remember. I, I'm pretty certain I had it on VHS. Mm. Uh, so I probably just bought it because of cover, I would imagine. Because um, <laughs> cover's, like, incredible. Um, a poster for it were, like, really cool. Um, <laughs> I probably saw Brandon Lee and went, oh, hello. <laughs> <laughs> Who's this man in PVC? Who's this man in PVC trousers <laughs> and long hair? And, you know. um, but, yeah, so I wasn't. Um, and then, you know, obviously then watching it, then you find out all the, you know, what happened and all that stuff around mm. it. But, um, yeah, I don't think I'd seen stuff before. And were you, were you, did you know anything about kind of Bruce Lee when you were kind of, you were coming up and stuff? Was that, was that somebody you were kind of aware of as a sort of an icon essentially? Yeah, yeah. Like I, I, I knew about Bruce Lee um, and I'd, I'd probably seen some Bruce Lee films, I would think. Don't ask me to name him, I'm terrible. Um, <laughs> I think it's. I think it would be hard not to sort of. I suppose that Bruce Lee's sort of yeah. an icon. It's sort of it's again like it's coming to sort of zeitgeist, where it's like yeah, it's not just like just cliche sort of like niche yeah. sort of like circles of Hong Kong cinema. He's sort of like a an icon of you know like yeah. like people like John Cena or The Rock is it sort of of his age sort of that yeah. time. And still is obviously to very much. Um, I mean, the point I went into a charity shop <laughs> and and on Saturday. Uh, in town and bought basically an instrumental track with Bruce Lee just talking over it. Ah. I don't know why. I just it was funny. I just I just found it. I just found it. I was like, oh, I'm just I'm just gonna buy this. Oh, it's ten pounds. I'm gonna buy some vinyl because it looks because it's got Bruce Lee and I I want to have I'm, it. I mean, um, I, have, I have to confess, I can't claim to be um, a, a connoisseur of martial arts like you are because yes, I mean, you're. Thank you very much. Thank you for saying. Glad <laughs> well, to get you everywhere. And also, one of my favorite <laughs> films is The Spy Next Door with Jackie Chan. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, oh, Megan! Oh my God! 
Oh my god, I've got such sights to show you, Megan. My god, <laughs> Jesus Christ, we have to change that. You're sp- only Jack Chan for me knows the spy next door. It's like it's saying, like, you know, the, the medallion yeah. or something. Like, no, no, it's not the only one, it's just one of my favorites. <laughs> That's okay. That's all. That's okay. That's something. Mean, there's, there's, there's hope for you. Yeah. It's like saying, like, oh, like, yeah, Jackie Chan from Jackie Chan Adventures. Yeah, that guy. Like, like, oh, no, no. What are you? Or doing? Shanghai. I expect. I accept Shanghai Noon. He said Shanghai Noon. I'd be like, okay, I'll deal with that. That's okay. Like, Owen Wilson, we love Owen Wilson. Have you seen that's absolutely fine. I, I have not. So I'm, I can't even judge. I can't even I feel, judge. I feel. I'm like, judging unfairly. You know, I think. You're doing him a disservice there, really. Because... I think I am. I think I am. I, I should stop watching, you know, things like Police Story and the great things like Protector and, like, My Lucky Stars and just watch his, like, horrible, like, straight-to-video Jennifer yeah. Love You it vehicles. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so getting back on it, Brandon Lee. <laughs> what, so, now, so obviously we've talked a lot about, about his, um, his death and obviously about the film himself. I mean... He had a very short career. He's only he only had five films in total, and he, and he was 20, 28 years old. Mm. I mean, that's that's such a young young age to like to pass away to, and 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 obviously an accidental way, of course. But um, what did you think of his his performance in this movie as Eric Draven? What did you think that he kind of brought to role, and what did you think of his kind of acting? I I think I don't think that it would be the same film. If it was someone else who'd been cast, um, and I, I mean, they tra- they have tried. I mean, I'm gonna say, well, let's not even discuss uh, <laughs> later offerings. Um, but I, I think what he brings to it is obviously, you know, his his skill. Like you said, he did so many of his own stunts and the fantastic and like all that when he's running over at roof, like rooftops mm. and stuff is incredible. And so obviously brought that it like his physicality to it. But I also think that. There's a, a real, I mean, we've said about he has some sort of one-liners, like which I think is what people do in like sort of comic book superheroes. Yeah, absolutely. But, but there's also moments of you know real um, like sadness and tenderness and like you know a real pathos to it that he brings that I think gives it that depth again, like what I was saying earlier, that gives it mm. something. Um, he's not just cracking, you know. He's not just sort of cracking one-liners he's it's like and, and his his pain is i mean when mm. he comes obviously when he comes up out of his grave he's like screaming rolling about in the suit by the way did you notice like that it's so it's so creepy because it's what they do when they bury people and he's rolling about but i thought it was such a an interesting detail like his shirt has got no back in it oh so, my god so yeah, when yeah. he's rolling about and it's because obviously when they bury people they just sort of took it out front um, which was totally, I don't I know that. Is that, yeah, is that right? I think so, sometimes. I mean, sometimes they might fully dress them, but they can do it where it's just like... And so he's like that when he's rolling about. And then, you know, his, his trans, like, transformation sequence and all this, like it's, mm. you can really feel the, the sort of emotion in it. And I think he brings that to it in a way that is not easy, I think, in a, you know, in a... It could have easily gone like the way of other um, sort of superhero films, where it's lacking that sort of depth and emotion, and then it would have probably never been anything at all. I think if he'd not have done it, mm. you know. So I think he's fantastic in it. In some, <laughs> I think he's fantastic. 
I think I, you're going to touch a little bit about on the kind of his physicality. Now, he, he actually quite famously, um, well, according to James Barr, quite famously, obviously, but he didn't want to be as physical and show off his, as much as he would. I mean, obviously, in films like Rapid Fire and so that little Tokyo and obviously in Legacy of Rage, he is obviously very much a martial artist. He's very much a kind of an action star, so to speak. But in this, he's obviously a little bit more muted. And I think he, he kind of spoke about, you know, in the kind of run-up sort of to this movie, he's like, I don't want to be as... I don't want people to look at and go, there's Bruce Lee as a crow. Yeah. He's like, I don't want I don't want them to see, like, there's Bruce Lee's son, he's a crow, and, this, and I just that's what they take away from it. I want to be... I want to be humanize him a little bit in terms of like Eric Draven isn't a martial artist. He's not come back from the dead and suddenly he's got he's like the Matrix. He's yeah. been plugged in and he's got kung fu powers. He, he wants to come back. Go, like, I can do these things, and I'll show a physicality in terms of what I can do in terms of the 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 role and the things that I are asked of me as someone who has come back from the dead and is avenging someone is kind of in shape and can do these do these things. And now he realizes that he's you know he's He's not made of straw. He can like just jump off things and mm. you know and like land and is that that's that kind of moment where he's like running for rooftops after um oh what's the word what's the, the guy with the knives the boy with the knives I should say I forgot his name now oh, what's um the name? hold on it's uh, uh Tintin Tintin he's running after Tintin yeah. he jumps off a roof and I think it's the first time he realizes he's like oh, I can't get hurt. Yeah. Like, this is, doesn't matter, and he's laughing, he's, like, laughing about it, and then Tintin goes, like, what the fuck? He just jumps off the roof, and he's like, right, can I, can I do this? I've come back from the dead, I can, yeah. can jump off this bridge. So I've jumped off the roof, and I, like, land, and he's, like, laughing, going, like, fuck, I can just do anything now, so I'm just, yeah. like, there's not, I can get these guys and, like, do fucking, fucking anything. So I just think that's an interesting kind of thing to be, like, to kind of bring to the role to be, like, right, okay, I'm not going to be... Brandon Lee in this movie, I'm going to be uh, and I'm going to encapsulate someone who can be a bit more human a bit yeah. less like a superhero in a sense um, invincible but I would choose other ways to <laughs> other ways to put that across and like tell people yeah. obviously yeah. the big shoot I was saying is very much like it kind of reminds me a little bit about films that I can hard boiled and like the mm. sort of the horror bloodshed movies like kind of Hong Kong I think that's a kind of big thing that was like an influenced as price for this movie because like it's very much like that kind of John Woo-ish mm. sort of shootout you know when it goes yeah. to like the shootouts it's, it's, it's ridiculous like people are getting pulled under the desk and it's quite kind of comical in some bits because it's very like, much like Batman-ish kind of superheroish yeah. mixed with this kind of like Chow Yun-Fat kind of thing I think which, yeah. I, which I think is really amazing Um, I, I, I think it's just and it, I think you just like you said yourself I think if we had it hadn't been him. I mean, who really could have done this a, a service at that time? And I think it also speaks to when you look at the, the this film as well as you look at kind of films like like the Tim Burton Batman movies and um, otherwise known as the best Batman movies. And, 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 yes, exactly the best the best Batman movies. <laughs> you do kind of you do see you see well this sort of fits in that sort of that way. There's there's like quips, but Batman isn't like constantly making like jokes yeah in those movies it's, it's much of a darker tone to yeah. be like kind of things with the 60s before we had that like it was like adam west and blue and all in blue and like bright and bright colors yeah. and like daftness but now it became more gritty from those two movies yeah. so i think it kind of fits in that sort of ethos of being like yeah we can make jokes but we're also like brutally killing people and there's like nastiness in this movie so i think that's kind of really interesting um i think that 
I think this obviously we we talked. I can we could talk for days about the kind of tragic backstory of this movie. Um, I think just it has all this kind of grief attached to it. Um, it does have a sort of a, a like a nice ending to it, even though this all this stuff has happened and sort of violence has been in his path. He does get to be with Shelley at the end. Yeah. Um, my voice is cracking now. Um, so I think you can you can sort of have that kind of. I think James O'Barr kind of appreciated that as well, talking about like there was sort of a there was sort of like a, a re, not a resolution, but certainly a kind of like. I kind of happiness to. I mean, it's it's such it is a very very dour movie. It's very gra- not graphic, but certainly very like grim and sort of dank and you know, it's, it's, there's no sunshine in it really until sort of the the end of it. And um, when he's with Shelley, he's sort of I suppose in a sort of like a their version of heaven, I suppose. And a way, in a way, yeah. you know, like he's getting to have be with his wife again. No, kind of corporally, I suppose, in a in certain sense. But. I mean, I've wrote my notes. Fuck, this is heartbreaking. <laughs> um, but I think it does kind of give this movie sort of like this kind of emotional gut punch. Like, like, like I said earlier in the, the podcast, that's watching it now, knowing all these things, listening to that that commentary, and kind of hearing, you know, the the stuff behind even just the comic book to the influence the film yeah. that happened. It's sort of like a cyclical thing. So, I think it just. It's, I've seen this film in a completely different new light, and I don't think I think it's com- completely changed that film for me now. Would you agree that it's sort of like it's seeing it with kind of older eyes and knowing? You know, if you're a teenager, as, as we spoke about before, you see the sort of action in it. You see the sort of kind of goth elements. You like the, the soundtrack. The soundtrack's a banger. <laughs> it, it should have been Nine Inch Nails in this movie all the way. Yeah, but now being like you say, you cry, they, cry, they won't have a letter. Does this does this give a sort of the film a new emotional weight for you that that maybe you'll go into like you know if you could talk about it in the future with like if you recommend this movie go this okay you this movie just isn't just this thing it's yeah it's a, a myriad of other kind of elements to it yeah I think it's you know as you get sort of as you get older and you start to have relationships and see their relationship is is like true love and it's really mm. emphasised that it's, it's true love all the way through. And I think, that, again, that romance element to it of, you know, like he's avenging Shelley, really, for mm. himself, like, he, and, and he wants justice for what happened to Shelley. So it's, um, and, you know, there's the, the um, when he, he touches um, the, oh, uh, Sergeant, yeah, Albrecht. So, Ernie, <laughs> our Ernie, Ernie, Hudson, Ernie yes. Hudson. When he, when he, little, little Ernie, little Ernie. <laughs> we love him. Um, <laughs> when he he touches him and he's like, he sees her through his eyes and he and he sees all pain she were in. And then mm. obviously we get like, so he's had his revenge. He's killed all you know, fun boy and skank and all these people. But the the justice is in killing Top Dollar because. Mm. I, I would say anyway, because the the order to kill him came from him, but also the fact that it was meaningless to him, that he didn't really mm. need to do it. So this idea about justice that when they have this final confrontation, you know, on the roof of a church, none more goth. Yes, absolutely, yes, yes, yes. 
Um, <laughs> you know, and that's what he, he says. He's like, my gift to you is 30 hours of pain, like all at mm. once. And so he, yes. he has to feel the consequence of his actions. But for Eric to have like carried that and carried that pain is, is again, it like reinforces this idea that, you know, he's done all this for, for love in a way. Well, not even in a way. He's done it all for love and he's done all this. And then when he does go back to his grave and, you know, Shelley's there, it's like, yeah, like you said, this full circle of the back together again because he don't want to be alive if she's not alive. Very goth. Mm. That's very, yeah, it's very, <laughs> very yeah, yeah, goth yeah, it's like how these sort of I think that that's a, that's a, the kind of there's a catharsis to it, so mm. there's very much like there's a finality to it. It's like yeah. right, I've 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 served my purpose, you know. I've been brought back as a sort of avenging angel, and I have avenged, yeah. you know. I've I've settled the scores that there is, so there is sort of like a he does kind of get. You know, I, I hasten to say he gets the girl at the end, but he does get the kind of like the satisfaction point, right. And everything I've, like you said yourself, everything I've, I've felt and I've carried throughout this whole experience, you must feel it because you don't, you don't give yeah. a fuck, you don't care. Yeah. This is what you know. You you deserve to at least understand what you do is completely wrong, and what you what you do what you ha- has happened is completely on on, on you. So this well, whole the, tragedy the is because of you. Like, yeah. The consequence of of his actions that he never has to face because he gets other people to do dirty work so mm. you know i mean he he kills all the rest of them because they have to die like that's yeah. that's you know they have to die but that's not really the 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 ultimate um sort of putting it right is killing mm. top dollar so mm-hmm. you know there is that sense it's like um it's a bit like a western in a way in that respect mm. I suppose. yeah kind of yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Like, i see that yeah you know like it's very it's very like black and white morality in it Mm. Which, which is, I think, it's not necessarily. I think there is that nuance to it. I think there is even reference to it about how sad all these men's lives are, how hard they are. That they've like, mm. you know, they're, they're scraping a living out in this sort of crime-ridden streets, and you know, who would they be if they weren't there? Like t- again, mm. like that idea about wrong place, wrong time. Um, and I and I don't think that it's a I don't think you ever feel like it's a preachy sort of film. It's not giving it, you know, sometimes people sneak these sinister subliminal messages, you know, in about like the American military, for instance, in some uh, <laughs> superhero films. Oh, yeah, n- yeah, absolutely. Yes, no yes, names. Yes. Um, but, you know, like... There's, there's... They're not names, but every Marvel movie, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know... <laughs> they hide it very well. Um, it's very subtle. It's subject. very subtle. It's very subtle. Um, yeah. But yeah, so I think it's not got that sort of preachy judgmentalness to it in mm, terms of its mm. morality, but it is a very, you know, it's very much like Eric must have his revenge, and he does. Yeah, um, which is satisfying. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's sort of like the sort of pale rider kind of comes into town and sort of like just puts right, put yeah. the rights to wrongs to rights, I should say, in yeah. a sense. So yeah, it's very interesting, and it's also just it's sort of. You're sort of perfect re- revenge flick for it just being some white guy like you know Charles Bronson, you know, just like you know something just happens. He's like, I'm gonna go and kill these people, and that's it. That's oh, it. Oh, not dead. Oh, yeah, God. yeah. So, so funny. it was Bruce Willis. Bruce Willis. Kills, um, films, kills yeah. a man with a sandwich at one point, don't he? Or a tray. I of think sandwiches. so. Yeah. 
or just, and he just shoots rocket launches into people people like I mean just just in the street like broad daylight so no that's that that's one. just Charles Bronson for you those oh, things what it, it Death Wish 3 or 33 I don't know where he's like in, a, in an old people like this block of flats full of old people who are being terrorised by youths and then mm-hmm. he, he's sort of like home alone in this building and teaching old people how to shoot sword offs and that is insane Absolutely insane. Well, well, being at the age of those people as well at the same time, probably. Like, yeah, yeah, he like, was about like, 93. He's, like, he's an octogenarian himself, and he was like, just, yeah, still like, like, I no, no, I'm, I'm Charles Brunson, I don't age. You know, I'm like, yeah, you have aged, Charles. You have. Yeah, yeah. Like, both of them have aged pretty badly. I mean, you can't, talk about, you can't pull just, that door open. You're, like, you're struggling to open that fire door, Charles Brunson. <laughs> I think, I think, I think once you, once you uh, influence serial killers and um and, and crazy fuck not serial not serial killer maybe uh, an, an interesting arb robber who just becomes mental himself uh charles bronson the, the man the myth the, the weird bald legend um <laughs> I, I think i think maybe just hang up your gloves and be like I'm, i don't really know what it happened but i don't know that's a weird tangent i've went on um <laughs> i think tangent about to- the tom hardy maybe bronson um sorry but Nicholas Winden Reffin. I do apologise for slagging you off. And also Charles Bronson himself, because I mean, I'm sure he listens to this podcast, of course. I'm sure still, he does. You want to go is, he, is he still alive? I don't really know. I don't, oh, I don't, oh really actually, I don't know. Hmm, I say it. I don't know. <laughs> That's a question to ask. Yeah. Should I go that one for the years on? Um, <laughs> so I think, I think, I mean, kind of, what are your sort of final thoughts for this movie in terms of the, do you think this film stands up as a, as a kind of a film you can watch now and sort of appreciate as much as the 90s, do you think it's a film, a niche film? Do you think it's, you know, a film that we just love because we like by having black t-shirts one at a time? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> are we just we're just are we just completely just big fans of weird industrial movie mov- music and we just have to keep this bit alive of being a golf forever or Yes. <laughs> yeah. All of the all of the above, yes. All of the above. Also, fine. as someone who is deathly pale. Uh, and and as a sort of you know penchant for black eyeliner, I feel like he, he normalizes my aesthetic. So you know that as well. That as well. Um, yeah, not, yeah. I not, mean, I mean, not the PVC pants, too sweaty. Well, I mean, I mean, that, that, speak for yourself. I'm wearing red. You can't see. You can't see. I can't. You can see my t-shirt, but you can't see what I'm wearing underneath. Um, Yes, yeah, I'm very sweaty at the moment. It's a very warm in this room. Uh, it's a soup. It doesn't matter. We can move on from that. Um, <laughs> genital soup. <laughs> Genit- a genital soup. That's going to call this episode genital soup. Um, <laughs> so uh, I think I think we can both agree that this, you know, this film does need a, a director's cut. We need to see, you know, a lot more of the kind of the kind of behind the scenes. I'd love to see a bit more about the kind of the, the making this movie. I mean, the stuff that does exist. You know, see the James O'Barr document commentary. Yeah. If you do, it's free on YouTube. If you if you want to check it out, it's very much fun. So, uh, not fun. It's very harrowing and yeah. disturbing and sad. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't really recommend it to my, my worst enemy, but it's still a very interesting listen. Interesting. Um, so we pop on this, pop on it, pop this on like any one streaming platform you have, or you've got a DVD. I think it may be on a DVD. I think I got it on YouTube because it's a, a great kind of glut um, of great commentary on YouTube, which is great to kind of help me rate my questions and stuff. Um, I will say the one thing that does not exist and has been destroyed forever, there is no evidence of the accident 
Um, no Denise to see that shit. That if you fun. are a morbid cunt and you want to see stuff like that, get yourself the fuck. Yeah. Um, as much as me and you love horror, Megan, and we love mental shit. Yeah. And we I have friends like um, our bloody obsession ladies, uh, who love love a fucking macabre mentalness. We I don't want to see that shit. I um, yeah. I would you know it's just so like we don't need that. We don't need. We've all in the in the days where people were watching fucking sad and insane guys get hung or whatever fucking mm. mentalness is. We don't need to see that stuff. We've got enough atrocities in fucking the news. Never mind seeing you know one of our kind of my, one of my beloved actors you know yeah. get you know hurt and die. So certainly, what a fucking horrible way to end this. I, I knew this podcast would be so a, dark. Fucking you've hell! Got, you've got on a fucking dark tangent now. <laughs> Jesus hell, Christ! Talk, anyway. about his, talk about his trousers again, awesome. PVC is really cool, yeah. PVC, like cyber, you know what? You know what? The ultimate. Get down to Cyberdog right now. Yeah. The ultimate horror. Here's your code, your film, move creep. Yeah. <laughs> the, ultimate, <laughs> the ultimate horror in this film is that he finds them boots in an alley and he wears them without socks. Yeah. Oh, I mean, like, that's, that's, that's like, that's Fruka's waiting to happen. Fruka's, you know. Athlete's foot. Something you can't get shut in. But then he no, maybe no, he got no. better because he's dead. So I know. mean, yeah, yeah. You think about really. I mean, he's not really going to be bothered. Like the last thing is what where it's like revenge, 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 and then like down the list is like, will I get athlete's foot from this? I mean, for me, am I going to get some sort of like yeah. fungal affection? For me, it's more the sensory nightmare of bare feet in leather boots that are full of rain because it just rains all the time. Like just yeah, just but, constantly you know, wet. It's like it's like that's a breeding ground for fungals. Your feet are just wet all the time. I mean, that's a oh. living nightmare. Get a towel on them, like a pair of socks. I mean, you can't yeah. find a pair of socks in Detroit. You couldn't find a pair of socks in a bin. I mean, you know, come I on. mean, we should we should when it, when you seen Eddie Hudson in those socks and pants. Yeah, should be like, do you have a pair? Can I have? It's quite yeah. wet outside. Do you mind? It's a wee pair of like. Yeah. You know, I imagine we was getting a wee pair of like sort of like patterned ones you would get like in Topshop. Nice. Like a wee, like a wee dog or like a wee pug or something on it. Yeah. Pug life or something says on or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> can I? Have and then, a but they talked in, so he couldn't see it in the boots. So, but he's yeah. been discreet, but they've they're also been like like protecting his feet. Yeah. <sighs> is, that, is that a better tangent to end on? I don't quite know. Don't um, so on that interesting tangent, uh, where can the creeps find you? Get give me some plugs. Uh, so as you've said, I am co-host of the Monstrous Flesh podcast. So you can find that wherever you get your podcasts. We've also got a website as well um, uh, where we have sort of information about when we're doing upcoming events, etc. That's monstrousflash.co.uk. Um, I'm on Instagram and TikTok, even though I've never posted a TikTok in my life, but I feel like I need to start. I don't know. Where are the, the dance and TikToks, Megan? Let's come on. <laughs> the fans demand it. Uh, so Instagram and TikTok. Um, and I think Letterboxd as well as Monstrous Sweet. Meg. Okay, awesome. So I'm on there, and I'll start doing the dancing TikToks. Maybe the first one I'll dress as the crow. That feels appropriate. That would be cool. I mean, that would be some <laughs> great, great cross promotion for me. Get it on there, like, like new episode yeah. out, and just like you dancing, sort of the white makeup on, just like holding up, holding up the, the episode artwork. Oh, the episode artwork, Megan. Oh my goodness, wait. what I'm ones we can't wait. So excited! I cannot wait to see. <laughs> I cannot wait because that demolition man one. I am going to frame yes. it. It is the best promotional thing I have ever seen. And I am totally being genuine there as well. Like it is I, I show it everybody. Like, look at this. And everyone yeah, is always I, impressed by it. A little bit of backstory behind it. I, I think that before I did that, we'll go off that being in transcend tangent here for a second. We've been very mob with this one. So yes, we'll, this we'll, is we'll, very we'll, fun for the end. <laughs> when obviously I had we had Megan on for the dem I had Megan on for the demolition man episode. 
I had absolutely no artwork before for the podcast. I was like, oh, I'm going to do some episode artwork. I have no, I have the Photoshop skills of a five-year-old that doesn't have any hands. Um, so I was like, right, okay, I'm just going to make up some fun episode artwork. What can what can go wrong? So what episode? I mean, I'm talking about, I mean, it's all about artwork. I'm saying like I superimposed Megan's head <laughs> in between Stallone and, and Wesley Snipes. And that was it. And thinking, I would think, oh, I'll send it to Megan. I think it'd just be quite funny. I think she'd be like, oh, that's fucking stupid. Hardly knowing Megan for the first time. Um, thinking, oh, no, that, that's so stupid. That, why, why would anybody be, be fun, think that's funny or interesting or fun? But Megan's like, no, I fucking love it, mate. I'm like, okay, like, okay. Like, and then now, so every, so anytime you see my, my podcast at work, you think, what the fuck is that? Is that guy playing that? You can, me- can blame Megan. So at Megan... <laughs> Once it's Meg, I'm just going to call Meg on Twitter. At RC, what, why are you encouraging this man to make such shite artwork? I love it. I think it's fantastic. <laughs> well, you've you've opened the genie's bottle now, so no, no going back. Um, I'll just be we're stuck with that aesthetic forever because I fucking love it too. So yeah. there you go. Um, I'm gonna end, I'm gonna end this, this podcast on a nice note. So we've talked about a lot more of things. We talked about our sadness in this this podcast. We've talked about genital soup. Incest. Go and, go and hang out with a friend. Go and speak to a loved one. Go and watch Rapid Fire. Go and watch <laughs> Legacy of Rage. Go watch Shonen in Little Tokyo. Go watch Bruce Lee movies. Go and watch as much as you can. Legacy of Rage is on Hayah just now. Go and watch that. It's fucking an awesome, fun movie. Um, You see Brandon Lee at his, his peak in terms of young and kicking ass in a kind of Hong Kong movie. Thank you for Megan for coming on. Hopefully we'll see you again soon for more interesting Gentle Soup content. Yeah, I hope next time we can do the spy next door. <laughs> yeah, um, no. No. <laughs> Bye, creeps. Bye. So that was my chat with Megan about The Crow. A bit of a strange madcap episode, both emotional roller coaster and the most funny, strange conversations I think I've had in my life. But I would expect nothing less from when me and Megan get together. Hopefully, we've not managed to uh, alienate any of the listeners in the, the runtime of this podcast. Your Move Creep would like to formally apologise for any offence caused or suffered throughout this podcast so as usual you can find the podcast on instagram and twitter at your mc podcast you can email the show at your move creep podcast at gmail.com you can find us on youtube now your move creep pod come and check out those videos a lot more we love share videos coming out soon remember to like and subscribe give us a repost on twitter or instagram wherever you see the podcast and i'll see you on the next one creeps Bye.